welcome back to Break Your Budget, the podcast. My name is Michaela, and I am your host. And I'm really excited for today's episode. We are going to be working through a Q&A. I haven't done a Q&A in about a month. I think the last Q&A I did was all focused on career. But this one is going to be a mix of career, personal, personal finance, all the things. I have more recently gained a lot of followers on Instagram. And so what I did was I posted a Q&A box asking you guys to let me know what questions you have for me about anything. And I'm gonna try to answer as many as I can. I think this is gonna be really fun. As always, if you like this podcast, please go leave me a five-star review on the Apple Podcast Store. And if you're feeling really frisky and generous, you can also leave me a written review. It would mean the world to me. There are a lot more on there than I was expecting when I went to go look, so if you've written one already, Thank you, I really appreciate it. I don't have too many housekeeping life updates to include this week. I guess just as an overall update, things are going in my business really well and I'm almost scared to say that because I don't want it to like jinx everything. Um, But I have a lot of really cool projects going on. I'm working on finding a YouTube editor so hopefully my videos soon are gonna look better at least my Friday videos, my podcast videos for now are going to stay as they are. I'm hoping to sign with a podcast network at some time during this year. So hopefully that happens for me soon. If I speak it into existence, maybe it will. Um, And I'm feeling, I'm starting to feel a lot better just about my overall routines and what I have going on in terms of like managing my time, because that's something I've been pretty open about recently is time management has been a struggle for me over the last couple of months working for myself and not having real deadlines and now it's been I would say it's been just about two months at this point my last day at work was April 8th and it's June 8th that I'm recording this so it's been exactly two months since I've been working for myself and been fully self-employed and For those first two months, I feel like I was just really stressed and had no idea what I was doing, what was going on. Now though, I feel like I have a better idea of how long things take me and how to structure my week. So it's not perfect yet, that's for sure. But for now, I'm kind of trying to batch certain styles of tasks. So for example, today's Wednesday. And so I'm doing all of the filming that I need to do for the week. And I'm trying to like batch stuff while I have makeup on and just do all my filming in one fell swoop so that I don't have to be on camera more than one to two days per week because filming and being on camera is like a really exhausting thing that I'm finding. I love it. Like I love making the podcast. I'm really enjoying making YouTube videos, but it's definitely takes a lot out of you. And I feel like that's not something that people talk about a lot. So I'm trying to do all of my like batching and filming on one day. I have days where I'm doing writing. I have days where I'm doing content creation and it's, I'm getting into a flow and it's feeling good. So once I'm in a better flow state, I guess with my business, I'll share everything that I'm doing. Um, But for now, I'm not going to because like there are still things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be. I've also been good. I said this in my June reset video. So if you haven't watched that on YouTube, you definitely should, but I've been a lot better about getting up and getting out of bed a little bit earlier. I find that I'm most productive in the mornings and that once three or four o'clock rolls around and I'm like itching to get out, I keep telling myself this and I it's something that I am aware of, um, but basically I'll get out of bed, or I'll get out of bed, oh my gosh, am I losing my mind? I'll finish working 
and I'll go on a walk. And then when I go on that walk and come back, I tell myself, oh, I'll do some more work tonight. And then I just don't do it. So I think what I need to do is make sure that by the time I'm going out on my walk in the evening, I'm done working. Like it can't be I go out for a walk and I come back and work more because that's just something that I haven't been doing. So I've learned that about myself. But yeah, that I think is the update. Overall, things are going well. I'm getting into a little bit of a better routine and it's just I'm feeling good. And financially, things are good. I have a new accountant, so I'm excited to get moving with him. And I just feel like so much of my life is starting to fall into place, both business-wise and socially and just with everything um, that's been happening for me. And I'm really, really happy and excited. And I'm so happy that I moved to California because if I hadn't, I would still be in Boston. Maybe I'd still be happy and stuff there, but I feel like my life would just look so different than how it looks now. So it's been just about a year since I've made the decision to move. And the last year, so many things in my life have changed. And so I guess it just before we get into all of this, as a reminder, if you are feeling stuck or unhappy with your life, like you can make whatever change you want the world is your oyster there is so much life to live out there so make the decision you're one decision away from completely changing your entire life and i'm so happy i made the decision to move even though it was expensive and it was scary and it put me out of my comfort zone and i had no idea if i was going to actually like it and i've gone through so many learning curves over the last year but i'm super super happy with how everything has turned out so yeah Wasn't planning to get into a little bit of deep convo there, but here we are. So today, like I said, is going to be a QA and a episode, and I have all of your guys' questions queued up on my phone. Um, And I did get a couple DMs, so I'll read those too with the questions. So if you are watching the video and you see me looking down, it's because I'm looking at my phone. Um, So yeah, with that, let's just get right into it. The first question here is, How did you start in finance? I just started my career and I'm not super happy with what I'm doing. Some days I'm anxious and my mind is cloudy being at my job. What advice would you give to someone trying to break into finance? I'm open to entry-level positions, but I don't want to sacrifice pay. So in case you're new, I basically spent the first four and a half or almost five years of my corporate life or my working life working in a finance job or in the finance industry. So I spent... A couple of years working in like wealth management, research, tech kind of finance at a financial services firm. I spent another year working in investment consulting. And then I spent the last two years of my corporate career working in financial planning and analysis, FP&A, marketing finance at a big publicly traded CPG company. And now throughout that entire process, basically, or for the last three years of that process, I was also building Break Your Budget on the side. I think I struggle with the part of this question that's like, how did you break into finance? Just because I didn't break into finance, like I went to college for finance, my entire plan was to work in finance. So it's not like I really ever had to make a big career shift between marketing and finance or sales and finance. Like I have a degree in finance, this is you know the path that I intentionally chose. That being said, if you are somebody who is looking to either break into finance or change your career path, there are things that you can do to make that a little bit easier. One would be to look for projects within your current role at your current company where you can learn financial skills. So maybe you work in marketing and you know you want to learn how to 
look at a P&L. What you can do is work with the director on your team or whoever's in charge of the budget on your team and have them walk you through the P&L, maybe give you some responsibility on managing the budget or taking the budget one step further or collaborating with your finance team to learn about what they're doing so that you can learn some transferable skills, build those relationships, and hopefully be able to put some of that on your resume to apply for finance jobs. I think another great way to break into a different industry is to do so within the company that you're already working at. So you're at your job and move into a different role on a different team, but within the company. And the reason why I recommend that is just because when you think about it, like applying blind to a job where you don't have a lot of applicable experience at a new company where they don't know you, is going to be really hard like you're going to be up against people who do have applicable experience so like the odds that you even get an interview are much lower but say you work again let's say and this is just for the sake of example let's say you work in marketing and there's an opening on the finance team at your company you can leverage the relationships you already have to move into that kind of role it's a lot easier to move within your company than it is to move to move to like a totally different um, role at a totally different company. I think too, if you think about like, okay, your exit strategy and what you're doing and you wanna move into a different career path, planting those seeds with your manager, with your team, shadowing people at your current company who work in the role that you wanna work in, building those relationships with people is really how you're going to get your foot in the door. The example that I use is my at my last job, my manager, um, obviously he worked in finance, but we worked in marketing finance and he had always had an interest in working in marketing. And so he had, you know, forged a lot of relationships, taken the time to learn about marketing and branding and different concepts and how all of that works within the context of our own company because he wanted to move into a more marketing-based role. So think about what you wanna do and think about how you can leverage your company, your role, the resources, and the people that you already have in your circle to learn the skills and then to get into the role that you want. I think doing so within your current company is probably your best bet for actually getting a job that's like totally unrelated to what you're doing, even if you're early on in your career. I think something that I struggled with, and this was just within the financial services or finance and investment industry in general, is my first two years of my job or of my career, I was working in a job that was very different than the path in finance I wanted to be in. I was working, you know, I wanted to move into a more investment heavy role and I wasn't getting that experience in the way that I needed it in my first job. And as a result, it was really difficult for me to get that job. It basically was like doing an entirely different career. And so what I did was I leveraged the time I had in my current job to find applicable experience that I could put on my resume. I also leveraged my network. So I reached out to the people that I knew worked in that industry or could help connect me with someone who did so that I could get the interview. Because I knew if I could get the interview, I could explain my experience, I could explain what I'm looking for and provide that context. But it's really hard to get the interview if what you have on your resume is not what they're looking for. Because they're why would they spend the time on you if they don't have a reason to when there's all these other candidates and applicants who have the experience they need. So leveraging your network is really important. 
So that's the answer to that question. But now what I'm going to do, sorry for that a little bit of noise, is pull up the other question box here. So I'm just going to, I haven't really looked through these, so I'm just going to kind of wing it. And hopefully we have some good questions. So the first one here is, do you have any money regrets? I love this question because I do. And I think I have two main money regrets. One, the first one would be moving out of my parents' house too soon. I think when I first graduated college, I lived at home for about three months before I decided to get an apartment and move out. And during those three months, I was commuting from north of Boston into Boston to work. And I was taking the train and... Well, it was inconvenient in the course of those three months, I was able to save like 10 grand, which on an entry level salary is really good. And it's because I didn't have any expenses and obviously huge privilege to be able to live at home. But I, looking back, I wish that I hadn't rushed out because when you live at home and when you're young and it kind of doesn't matter if you're living at home because you don't have a family and you don't have really a lot of responsibilities those first couple years out of school, many people, not everyone, so don't yell at me um but a lot of people you know you're 22 you don't have kids you don't have a husband or a wife or a partner or whatever you can live at home if you have a job that's around where your parents live and you can suck it up and commute and doing that you can save so much money you can literally put yourself in a completely different financial situation in the course of a year just by taking some time to accumulate and focus on either saving or paying off your loans aggressively instead of having to stretch your income so thin across so many things by moving out so soon. I wish that as a society, and I think it's kind of moving in that direction, we would normalize living at home for a period of time between the age of 22, right when you graduate college and the age of 25 or 26. I don't think it's that weird. And at the time, when I was moving out, like I thought I was a total loser for still living at home. And looking back, like not only was that not true, but also like it, I could have saved myself so much money, so much frustration by just living at home for a little bit longer. And I'm not talking like living at home for five years after college, but like six months to a year can make such a difference. And I think so many people feel so much shame from that and why, like there shouldn't be. You have your whole life to like live on your own and pay bills and be independent and do all of those things. And obviously be moving from college and having your own life to then moving home and almost feeling like you're regressing doesn't feel good, but 20 when you're so young when you're 22 like you have so much life ahead of you to do all of those things and there's just no rush it's kind of like the rush I feel like people feel when they graduate college to like start a job right away I know there's a lot of pressure but you don't need to do that just yet if you have the opportunity to take a couple months off between school and starting work and you have the ability to like again live at home and not have to worry about things, which I understand not everybody is able to do. But if you do have that, take it. Because once you start working, it's so much harder to take time off than it is to just take some time off before you even start. So that's my first money regret is not like living at home longer because I had the opportunity to. If I could go back and do it again, I would have lived at home for a full year. My other money regret, I think, is just in my 20s being like a total cheapo. So like for the first two years after college, 
I was so concerned about just saving as much as possible and saving without a plan. Like I literally didn't have a financial plan in place. I wasn't saving for anything in particular. I just had like this issue with spending money on stuff and I didn't want to spend money on anything. So like I would walk everywhere and I would, you know, I cheaped out on getting, um, in my first apartment, like I had a roommate that we didn't really jive. And then I lived in another apartment, which ended up being great, but I had three other roommates and one bathroom. And I like looking back on all of these things. Yes, I saved a lot of money, but I do wish that I had said yes to a lot of different and more experiences and worried less about the money aspect, just because now as I'm moving into my late twenties, I'm turning 27 in a month. It's like, okay, well, I don't ever get that time back. And then we lost two years because of COVID. And so it feels like the first half of my 20s just didn't happen um, just because of choices I made and then circumstance of the world. So that's my other money regret is I wish pre-COVID I lived my life a little bit more because I feel like I'd regret less if I had done that. But now I feel like, you know, up until I turned 26, my life didn't start. Like it was not fun. And now I'm like, okay, I want to say yes to everything. Like if you ask me to go somewhere, I'm going. My answer is yes. I am a yes man. So those are my two biggest money regrets. Investing slash personal finance books for beginners is the next question. So my biggest recommendation in this category is to read, I will teach you to be rich. I actually have it right here. Coincidentally, um, this is the best book ever. If you don't have it, you should get it. It's by Ramit Sethi. I do giveaways for this sometimes um, on my Instagram. But this is like my Bible. It's like $10 and I highly recommend you read this. There could be another book like this that's coming out sometime. Sometime, I don't know when, but cannot confirm nor deny. Um, the other book I like is The Psychology of Money. The next question here is that I'm going to answer. Decide between moving back home to save 25K on rent per year or my freedom. I make 105K per year. Well, so this would depend on how old you are. I think if you're under the age of 25, move home. I think, you know, you have your whole, again, you have your whole life to live. So taking a year to save some money would be really helpful. I think people also look at saving money as like, I'm just saving money on rent, so it's only whatever I'd pay in rent times 12. But you're also saving on all of the other expenses that come along with living away or living in a city. So going out, grocery shopping, utilities, like all of those things. So it probably would end up being a little bit more. I think in this case, if you're young and you want to move home to save money, like, sure, I think that's a great decision, but do it for a reason. Like, don't just do it because you want to save. Like, are you saving to buy a house? Are you saving to take a year off of work? Like, what are you saving for and what's the point? Because if you don't have a reason why you're doing that, you're going to be miserable. And I also think that you don't have to look at it as like giving up your freedom to save money. I think there are ways when you're living at home that you can enjoy your freedom. Like you will have a little bit more of discretionary income to maybe travel or go away for the weekend or visit your friends in the city and stay over, get a hotel room or be more open to like splurging on going out, those kinds of things, just because you're not paying all of these other bills. And I also think if you're gonna do it, give yourself a deadline because if you don't, then you kind of will fall into this phase of like, well, I don't have to move out. And so I'm just going to stay and I'm going to stay where I am. And that's kind of what happened to me is I moved home obviously because of COVID, but I ended up like 
not really having a plan after I decided that I wasn't going to buy a condo. And like for so long, it just felt like my life was in limbo. And so if you're going to live at home, you need to do so with a plan. Because if you don't have a plan, then you're going to be stuck. Um, So yeah, that's kind of my answer to that. It really just depends on your situation and it depends on the reason why you would be doing it. I think to move home in the name of simply saving money without a reason of why or what may end up like putting you in a place that you regret doing that. So just think through the decision. But it's going to be different for everyone. There's no yes or no answer to that. Um, Okay, the next question here is tips with managing money in social settings with the risk of being considered cheap. I also really like this question. And I like this question because it resonates a lot with me and like my experience, I think, of just being a young adult and navigating having friends who may not have prioritized money the same way. I think a big thing is like if you're in a social setting and you're going out with a group of friends, level setting expectations of like, say you're going out to dinner, it's like, okay, like are we splitting the bill or are we all going to be paying for our portions? I don't think that talking about money is weird and it shouldn't be. And if you don't approach it as being a weird thing or being cheap, other people won't interpret it that way. One tool that I love to use, it's called Tab. And my friend group and I hear what we do is for every time we go out to dinner, everybody orders whatever they want. And at the end, we just tab it. And basically, it's this app that calculates out. You take a picture of the receipt and you can select everything that you ordered And then one person puts their card down and then everybody Venmo's that person what they owe for what they ordered plus their portion of tax and tip. Really, really awesome tool. And so I think, say you have that in your little toolkit and you just say before you go out like, oh, we should tab this so we can all pay for what we owe instead of getting into like a weird situation where you order, you know, French fries and everybody else orders a full meal and two drinks and you end up splitting the bill. Like, I think that's ridiculous. I am not in the camp of splitting the bill evenly unless it should be, but it all depends on the friend group. I also think too, like when you're in social settings or you're going out with friends, but you have opportunities in like one-on-one instances, maybe outside of the going out part to like talk to your friends about money and let them know how you're feeling about your finances so that when those situations come up, people are a little bit more sensitive to it rather than just being like, oh, you're a cheapo. I don't think there's anything wrong with being conscious of how you're using your money, especially if like you don't have a lot of discretionary income. So it's just being honest and upfront is the best way to navigate it. And if they're truly your friends, they'll be respectful of that. And I think if they're not respectful of that, then it could be time as an adult to find friends who are a little bit more aligned with your values and how you approach things. So that is my answer to that question. The next question here is, what are some good investment apps that are user-friendly? So a couple that I like, one is Wealthfront. I no longer have a code with them, but I do really like their app. It's so easy to use. The catch with Wealthfront is that you do have a $500 minimum. So you have to invest $500 with them to even open an account. But with them, you can choose different ETFs. They'll build a portfolio for you. You can open an IRA. You can open a brokerage account. They have so many different um, investment products to choose from. So I definitely would recommend Wealthfront. Another app that I like and one that I use is called Stash. 
And Stash is awesome because it's like ETF investing. They have a whole section for beginners. They'll give you recommendations. You can set up auto invest. It's a really easy app to use in my opinion. So those are the two investment apps that I would recommend. Some others that people like are like Acorns, Betterment, but I've never actually tried those. So I can't per se recommend them. But I think those two would be really great to explore. The next question here is business related. And it says, would you advise first creating digital products before creating a social media presence? This is another kind of tough question. So I'll base it based off of my experience. So my experience, I would say probably not. And the reason is because when you create a digital product, obviously creating a digital product is a scalable product. And the example of one that I have is the personal finance dashboard. I made it once. Obviously, I'm continuously making updates to it every year, but it doesn't require any overhead for me to maintain it. Like all of the time that I spend from a business standpoint, obviously I'm maintaining it in my personal finances, but all the time that I'm spending on that is like either improving it, troubleshooting for people, answering questions, or marketing and selling it on my socials. The reason why I would advocate more for creating a social media presence before that is because marketing a digital product is hard. Getting it in front of people who want to buy it is hard. And, you know, when you have an audience already that is authentic, that you've grown organically, they're way more likely to buy something from you if they know, like, and trust you than they are to just like blindly purchase a template online. So that's really my opinion on like why I think, I think just in general, like if you want to build an online business and you want to use social media to do that, you kind of can't look at social media as like, I'm going to create a product and then I'm going to sell it on social and people will come find me for that because that's not really how it works. Like you have to create a brand and you have to educate people and provide value consistently over a long period of time to the point where they trust what you have to say, they feel like they know you, and they feel like you are a trusted resource and somebody that they can go to for questions that you'll answer or make the best effort to answer. Obviously, it gets to a point where like you can't answer everyone. But it's things like that are really important when it comes to selling something. And most people now don't really want to be advertised to so like the person for the personal finance that dashboard I'll defer to that as really my example here is like it is a product that I created for myself that I use myself that I share myself using all the time I show you guys how I spend my money what my budget looks like every single month and so because I do that people can see through me This is how she's using it. This is how she became financially successful. Like this is a tool that she trusts and use. And so I can trust and use that too. And I can use this in my own life and it's possible for me. And that's my whole goal. So like if you have like a digital product that you want to sell, but you don't have anybody who knows that it exists, it can just becomes really difficult and it can take longer. So I think in general, when starting a business, like, Focus on providing value first before you try to sell anything. Because I have people that I follow that like I've and I've followed them for a long time and like their social media presence or following number hasn't changed at all. And like it's clear to me that they're struggling to sell products or programs or courses or whatever because they don't have clear messaging 
and they're using social media as a way to advertise their product instead of using social media as a way to provide value. And like, who wants to follow someone whose entire social media presence is them selling something? Like, I would say my social media presence is like 75 to 80% unsponsored, organic, no personal finance dashboard um, content. And then the other 20% is either sponsored content or me plugging the PFD, like hard plugs. So I think that's kind of a good balance. But like if everything you're posting is about selling something, then who want, nobody wants to follow that because you're not learning anything. You're just being sold to. And like I find that to be really annoying as even as a creator. So like as a consumer, I can't imagine it. Um, so yeah, I hope that kind of answers that question in full. The next question, favorite free social activities. I love this question because there are so many free things you can do. I think... And I'll put this in the context of LA. So my favorite free social activities in LA, I love to go walking around Palisades Park. Something my friends and I do all the time is we'll go on walks together. So that could be walking Palisades Park. It could be walking on the beach in Santa Monica. Um, another thing we love to do is go hiking. I love to hike. There are so many free hikes in LA. Cost no money. You get great views. It can be a full day activity. It can be a half day activity. Um, so that's a really great option. Another thing that I love to do on the weekends is go to the farmer's market. That's also free. Obviously, you can buy things there, but you don't have to. I go to the farmer's market all the time just to look, just to browse, just to be with my friends. Um, another activity would be maybe walking around Abbot Kinney, going to the Venice flea market. All of there's so many activities that you can do, at least in LA. You can go to the beach for free. You can find free street parking. There are so many things here that you can do for free and so I would imagine, I mean, it depends where you live, obviously. Um, everybody says that living in LA is so expensive and obviously it is an expensive city. We pay a lot of money in tax, but we also pay for like resources and public places that are free for us to access on a regular basis and I think that's a really important thing a lot of people don't think about when they live in a city. like. What are the opportunities or the things that you can do that the city provides for you to access for free? Here, it's like we live in a place that has so much natural beauty. There's the beach, there's the mountains, like there's so many places you can go and there's so many things you can do. There's all these different farmers markets and flea markets and like I just have an endless list of things that I could do for free in LA. So I think when it comes to like the city that you choose to live in, especially if you're young or you're graduating college, live in a city where you have access to things. My big thing about why I left Boston was I just felt like there was nothing to do there for free. Like the whole social scene revolved around drinking. And that's because there's nothing there. Like there's there's beaches, but you have to go to the Cape. There's mountains, but you have to go to New Hampshire. Like there's nothing really in the city to do for free besides like, shopping there's no farmers markets like there's just none of that and so I chose to live in a city where sure I pay more in tax but like I'm paying for quality of life I'm paying for all of these different things that I have access to and so if you live in a city or an area of the country where you don't have access to anything and that's really inhibitive for you entertain the idea of maybe moving somewhere else I know that's not possible for everyone but like there are free activities to do in a lot of major cities. And if you don't have free anything around you, like say you live in Ohio, like I don't 
what is there to do there? I don't know. If you live in Ohio, let me know what you guys do for free. Um, besides maybe go on walks and stuff. But yeah, I think, I, again, I hope that answered the question. At least it answered the question in the context of where I live. But see if you can like translate some of those things into where you live too. Um, okay, let me see. Oh, is your template transferable to people in Australia? We don't have a 401k. Thanks. Yes. So the template, the P, I would imagine this person's um, referencing the personal finance dashboard. The PFD is fully customizable. So like you can enter in whatever investment categories you want to track. You can enter in whatever savings categories you want to track. Same with expenses and income streams. You can also change the currency in Excel. Something I'm working on are like a couple of setup videos that go deeper into like how to troubleshoot these things within the actual portal. So those are coming soon if you have the PFD. But to answer this question, yes, you can use it in Australia. I have people all over the world now that have it. Oh, and I haven't mentioned this yet. Um, podcast listeners, you can get the PFD for $10 off using the code podcast1. Let me see what the next question here is. What sinking funds do you contribute to? How many is too many? So I have three. I have an emergency fund. I have a travel slash wedding fund. So wedding as in any expenses related to attending a wedding. And then I also have one for my car. I think, you know, three to five is probably the magic number. One of your sinking funds has to be an emergency fund. But then I think the other couple could be like, some type of travel fund, maybe some type of car fund, some type of purchase fund, vacation fund, anything like that. So think about things that you would want to save for. A down payment fund is a great one. Um, saving for a car, car maintenance. So those would be two different ones. I think those are some good ideas. Too, how many is too many? I think, you know, you don't want to boil the ocean with some of these things. Like you don't want to have too many accounts. You don't want to be spreading your money to too many places. So I think a sweet spot's three to five. I think if you have like seven or more, you may want to refine or consolidate some of your goals. Another point here is I'm not actively contributing to these because they're all pretty much fully funded. I've drawn down from a few of them, obviously, but I haven't really had a need yet to replenish them. I will soon, probably at the end of this year, and thinking about my goals for next year, I'll probably incorporate those as like things that I would want to start replenishing or adding more money to. That's the beauty of sinking funds is like once they're funded, you can kind of redirect your attention elsewhere. So that is my answer to that. I keep all of my sinking funds in a high yield savings account. If you want to learn more about those on my links page, you can check out, I have a free high yield savings account guide. The next question here, what are the biggest changes in your money habits now versus pre-COVID? I love this question. This is an awesome question. I would say the big thing now is I, I mean, I make more money now. So that helps. And I think that that's an important caveat to make. I make more money. My expenses though are much higher, but I do make significantly more now than I did in the year or two leading up to COVID. Before COVID, I was making like 60 to 65K and I'm making much more money now. Um, so I can afford to spend a little bit more, but I think the big thing is now I'm far more likely to say yes and stress less about if my plans change or like if I overspend on something or if I splurge on something or impulse buy something, as long as it's not a consistent habit, I'm just so much less worried about it. I think the other thing too is like little expenses. So like 
CVS or like being charged incorrectly at the coffee shop or like being charged for oat milk or like those kinds of things, like they don't bother me anymore where I think before COVID that kind of stuff would send me into orbit because it like it would just annoy me so much. And I've become a lot more relaxed with just my money and my approach to money and my approach to how I spend money. Just I've just become so much more comfortable and confident in what I'm doing and the long-term payoff. And I've also kind of re, I guess, jiggered the way that I view money as like, before COVID, it was, I couldn't find enough money. Like there was just no way for me to have enough. Everything felt out of reach. And I think it's a mindset thing. And now it's like, I have money coming in. Like I just feel like the way that I view money and its role in my life is so different. Like for me now, Money is a tool for me to live and experience my life. It's not something that needs to be hoarded. It's something that obviously I'm intentional with and I'm thoughtful with. But if I want to do things and I want to live and I want to experience living my life and being a generous person and having a good time and just like living, you have to spend money. Like I don't want to spend all my life sitting in my room at home because I don't want to go out and spend $50 on dinner. Like it's... Things like that. Like my, I'm just much more relaxed, I guess, post-COVID than I am now. And I think that's because outside of the fact that I make more money, it's just like, I think we all saw how quickly your life can change and how things can literally be taken away from you and not being able to do things. And during that period of time, like I would have given anything to be able to go out to dinner with my friends again and like go spend money and we just couldn't. So I that has definitely changed my approach to money I think forever will you take more PTO days now that you're self-employed honestly probably not I don't really foresee myself taking any PTO days a because I don't get PTO but b because like if I don't work my business doesn't move forward so that's a big thing and two social media there are no days off like I do intentionally try to stay off social media one day during the weekend Um, which I've been pretty good about. But like, even when I do that, I'm still thinking about like, can I capture clips to make TikToks? Like, can I take pictures to share tomorrow? Stuff like that. Like, I don't, it's just so much harder to turn off because social media never sleeps. And even just like checking notifications and stuff, I feel like I'll always be working. I am toying with the idea. So I'm going home for two weeks in August. I am toying with the idea of taking a, a one week reset. Where like I fully, I'm not posting on social media. I don't have pre-planned content where I'm just taking a week fully off um, to recalibrate my life, reset my business, that kind of thing. So I haven't decided if I'm going to do that yet, but I'm thinking about it. So we'll see. But other than that, no. Like if I take time off, it just means that I'm working more different days. Like last week for Memorial Day or two weeks ago, I didn't work on Monday because nobody else was and like I was doing other things, whatever. And I felt it all week long. Like I just felt behind and I still feel behind. So I'm trying this week to like really put my head down and be productive. I don't have any social plans this week. So yeah, it's just, no, I'm not going to be taking more PTO days. I don't think that is a concept that doesn't exist when you have your own company. Best podcast, favorite podcast. This one Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, But beyond the Break Your Budget podcast, which is the best podcast that exists, 
Um, I really love the Skinny Confidential podcast. Um, That's one of my favorites. I also really love the Jay Shetty podcast. I've been listening to that religiously. I love We Met at Acme, really great dating podcast. I love Girls Gotta Eat for like my trashy podcast. And I also really like The Vile Files. That's another good like dating life social friend kind of podcast. The best way to land a job at a huge company. So this one's tough. I think the best way to land a job at a huge company where you don't have any connections is to have a really baller resume. So a couple of resume tips here. One is to make sure you have your formatting correct. I am no recruiter, but I do follow a lot of them on LinkedIn. I consume a lot of that kind of content. And most of the tips that I see that they say is like, From a formatting perspective, get your picture off of there, get back to the basics, white background, black font. You don't need to use like a Canva template or have colors and stuff. I think if you're a creative and you're applying to like artistic jobs, that could be a little bit helpful, but honestly, it's distracting. So I think it's thinking about how can I make this translate my experience in a clear and concise way and that's formatting is so important. The average recruiter I think looks at a resume for seven seconds or something. I feel like that's a fun fact that floats around. And so if your resume is a mess, like, and they don't know where to look, it makes it a lot harder for them to like evaluate you as a candidate in a short period of time. So bold headlines of your experience with your job title and try to keep things concise. Another tip is to have like, really strong action verbs at the beginning. So analyzed, designed, enhanced, accelerated, streamlined, all really great words to use on your resume. Having a strong action verb and then at the end, putting your tangible, measurable value add. So if you are able to quantify things, looking at time reduced, sales generated, people helped, hours spent, like Whatever you can quantify, try and quantify it. And each bullet should have strong action verb and a phrase at the beginning where you're summarizing what you do and end with the value add quantifiable metric if applicable. Great way to do this and to get yourself all in a position to update your resume would be to use the Own Your Career template, which is always linked in the show notes. So I think having a strong resume is how you get in at big companies. I interviewed... And I actually got a job offer at a big company. I won't say the name, but it's a social media company with a bird. And I just blindly applied on LinkedIn. And I ended up going through the whole process, got the interview, whatever. And it's because I even got looked at because I had a really strong resume. And I updated my resume too when I applied to the job to include applicable experience for that job. So that's another key thing to do is like when you are looking at a job that you're really excited about at a big company where maybe you don't have a lot of connections, pull up your resume and see if you can make updates that are applicable to the job you're applying for. Incorporate keywords so that when the recruiter is looking at your resume, if it hasn't already been parsed through their system or if it has, they can see like, okay, this candidate is a really good fit for this role because they have this applicable experience. It's super, super, super helpful doesn't take a lot of extra time either and it can really help get your foot in the door if you maybe don't have a wide network or you want to get into a different kind of company that's harder to break into. Okay, I'm going to try and wrap this up soon. So I think I'll do maybe two more questions. 
How to manage a credit card without going into debt? Love this question. I think the biggest thing here is don't put stuff on your credit card that you couldn't pay for in cash. Healthy credit card habits are really, really important. So that's not putting things on the card that you couldn't already pay for in cash right then. Not carrying a balance month to month. So every single month or every two weeks going in and paying off your credit card and also thinking about like credit card utilization. So keeping your utilization low, that basically means whatever your credit limit is, keeping the amount that you put on your card within 20 to 30%. When it comes to having a credit card, I think the best way to approach it is to almost treat it like a debit card where you're not ever buying something that you couldn't pay off in that current moment. Very, very, very important tip. I personally only use credit cards and I use them because I like the rewards that come along with them and they come with an extra layer of security. So like if there's a fraudulent charge, it's a lot easier to dispute versus if it was on a debit card and somebody like pulls money out of your account. But I think the big thing with credit cards is using them responsibly. So that's treating it like a debit card and not acting like you have all this free money that you can go spend. Um, let me see if there are any other questions on here that I want to answer. Do you feel the need to save even more because of potential crises due to climate change? No, I don't. Should I? I've never heard of that before. I think, you know, my whole motto in this life, I guess now is whatever happens, happens. I can't control climate change. I'm a vegan. You know, I recycle. Those are all things that I do. And that is the most I can do as an individual. And I don't really know how maybe this person is talking about like natural disasters and stuff. I guess since I live in California, you know, there's a lot of fires and whatnot, but I can't control that. So like if that's what's going to happen to me, I it just is what it is. So that probably wasn't the best question to end on, but I think that's where we're going to end. Unless I can find one more that's good. Oh, actually, I like this question. Do you think most people can find a job they're passionate about? Is it about finding the right one? I do think that most people can find a job that they're passionate about. But what I think people need to level set their expectations on is even if you're passionate about something, if you're getting paid for it, it's still a job. And no matter what job you're doing, there are always going to be things that you don't want to do. For example, Break your budget, personal finance, career, all the things that I talk about, those things are my passion. I'm so passionate about this, but it's still work. It's not like I wake up every day and I'm like, woohoo, I can't wait to start working. Like I love doing this and I enjoy it way more than I did my other job, but it's still work. And like, there are still things that I have to do that I don't want to do, like edit YouTube videos or like answer emails or, you know, troubleshoot things for people who buy my products, like, will I do it? Yeah, but is it my favorite thing to do? No, because it's work. It's still work. Like, it's not this glorious thing that I think a lot of people think. And when it comes to passions, as soon as you monetize it or as soon as you're doing something that you're passionate about, you lose a little bit of that passion because there's a new sense of responsibility that comes with it. So I think... Everybody can do a job that they love to do and everybody can find a job that they feel excited and passionate about. But you do not have to live your life looking for your work to be your passion. I don't think that that's good advice, truthfully. 
Um, and I think once I kind of realized that, that like this concept of a dream job doesn't exist, I have a whole podcast about that. It made my career and navigating my career and my expectations of my career much simpler. And that is what made me happy. It's like separating your career is not your whole life and it shouldn't be your whole life. And like, it's just one part of all of the things in your life. Like you have your friends, you have your job, maybe you have a relationship, like you have all these different things in your life. Like your career doesn't have to be all of those things, if that makes sense. So that is my answer to that question. And with that, we're going to wrap up this podcast episode. I hope you guys like this. I really love doing these Q&A podcasts. I think they're fun. And these were some really good questions. So I'm excited for you to listen to this. As always, I said it before, if you like this podcast, please go leave me a review. And I will catch you guys.